Okay, Lainey. I'll try to stay on my notes. <laughs> uh, it's hard. <laughs> okay. How great is our God, amen? How great is our God? It's really what the text is about tonight. Um, Paul was a ferocious Jew. He was a perfect religious man. But on the road to Damascus, he found out that all that religion was no good. I love how Charles Spurgeon, that famous 19th century preacher, said it. He said, religion is simply painted pageantry in which to go to hell. I know that's strong. And some of you may not understand what I'm saying. I'm saying Christianity has nothing to do with religion. Christianity is about a relationship. It's not about religion. I know there's a lot of confusion about that in the world. Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man reaching up to God or seeking or attempting to. Christianity is God reaching down to man. It's completely and totally and utterly different. Satan loves religion. He created every one of them. He thought them up. He made them up. And he takes multitudes to hell in these religions. No doubt Satan is particularly proud of counterfeit Christianity. It looks like it's Christian. It talks like it's Christian. They even use the Bible sometimes. But it has very little, if anything, to do with the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. You know the great passage, Matthew 7.22. Jesus doesn't say there'll be a few or some or several. He says there'll be many who are deceived by counterfeit Christianity. You remember His words, don't you? You remember the religious guys that came to Jesus and they said, man, we've done a lot of cool religious stuff in Your name, right? We've prophesied in Your name. We've cast out demons in Your name. We've done miracles in Your name. They were impressed with their resumes. They were impressed with their religious credentials. These guys, they weren't, your, they weren't nominal Nominally Christian as many are today in the church. They were doing some impressive things. Their list is probably better than your list. I know their list is better than my list. I've never cast out a demon. And I've never done a miracle. But Jesus said to them, I don't know who you are. Do you remember to these religious men. Jesus says, I don't know who you are. 
I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You ever wonder why Jesus accused these religious men of lawlessness? Have you ever thought about that? Some of the other translations talk about wickedness or iniquity. But why would Jesus accuse these religious men, no doubt probably moral men, men who were respected in the community, why would He accuse them of lawlessness? We'll talk about that in a minute. But there's a distinction here I want you to understand. A distinction between biblical Christianity, the 66 books of the Bible, and pseudo-Christianity. Merely religious Christianity. Counterfeit Christianity is really not about Jesus. It's really not at the end of the day. It's really about men justifying themselves through their religious works. And this is what we see the Apostle Paul understanding face down on the road to Damascus as he meets the living God. As he meets Jesus Christ. Satan loves counterfeit. He, you know, he's the father of all world religions. And he's the father of counterfeit Christianity. He turns the Christ-centered Gospel into a man-centered Gospel in at least two ways. He substitutes works for grace. Counterfeit Christianity will say, well, if you come to our church and you do this stuff, and you say what I tell you to say, you pray like, you, like I tell you to pray, then we'll pronounce you a Christian. And you're on your way to heaven. It's really about what I do. It's about my works. It's about me being justified before God. Ultimately, that's what it's about. Satan takes the biblical message of being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And he puts church membership and attendance and baptism and sacraments and prayers, etc., 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 on top of the biblical message. So in essence, man is earning his salvation. He's earning his merit before God. Some of you have been involved in churches like this. Secondly, Satan turns the Christ-centered Gospel into a man-centered one. You guys, some of you are, are very familiar with this name it and claim it, word of faith, prosperity stuff. Where... We're not really looking at God and loving God. We're really looking at ourselves and we want God's blessing. We want God's blessing more than we want God. We love God's blessing more than we love God. Amen? That's the man-centered, I'll say Protestant version of the false gospel. Counterfeit Christianity. It is the pinnacle of lawlessness and unrighteousness and iniquity and evil because it pushes Jesus to the side. Jesus gets pushed to the side. It's no longer about Jesus Christ, really. 
It's about me doing enough good things to earn the favor of God. Beloved, this is always false and it's always demonic. Who is the father of lies? We know who the father of lies is. Jesus tells us. Amen? Satan is the father of lies. So if someone's preaching or teaching a gospel different than this one to you, you, you know immediately where it's coming from. It's not coming from God. It's coming from Satan. It's, it's demonic. Jesus condemned this in Mark chapter 7. Some of you are very familiar with this famous passage. Jesus said to the Pharisees and all those who followed them, He said, you are neglecting the truth. He says, you're setting it aside. You're invalidating the Word of God for your own traditions, your own ways. In in essence, your own religion. Judaism had devolved into an apostate Judaism. It was apostate Judaism by the time Jesus came to the earth. And beloved, God hates it when men change His message. God hates it when men add to His message. God hates it. You saw it in the text. Right? What does God say about those who add to the Gospel? What did it say in, in Philippians chapter 3? Uh, 3 verse 2. What did the text say? You heard it read. What did it say? God says, this is not Jim, God says they're dogs and evil workers. I know that's strong, but this is the Word of God. It's, these are not my words. These are the words of God. God hates it when He's edited. God hates it when men take the Bible and they spin it and they change it and they alter it and they add a lot of junk to it or they take stuff away from it. God hates it. It's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7 to those counterfeit Christians. He said, it was never about Me with you. You were just doing your church thing. You were just doing your religion. You were just doing your works. You were just trying to earn My favor, which is impossible that a fallen, sinful man could ever earn the favor of a holy God. Jesus said, it was never about Me. You never really loved Me. You never really served Me. You never really worshipped Me. You never really obeyed Me. You played religion, but you didn't love Me. That's what Matthew 7 is about. And Jesus will say to all those who played religion with God, and I'm talking about about religion under the label of Christian. I'm talking about pseudo-Christianity. Jesus will say to them, I do not know you. Depart from Me, you who practice lawlessness. What is the definition of eternal life according to Jesus Christ? The short answer for me, John 17.3. Jesus says, this is eternal life. Anybody know how that ends? This is eternal life that they may know You. He's praying to His Father. And then over in John 10, He says, My sheep, what? They know Me. And what do My sheep do? Oh, they follow Me. You know, it's not just words. 
It's not just words on Sunday. I don't just, you know, I, I don't just say pretty words. I don't just pray pretty words. I don't just sing pretty words. Right? I follow the Lord. He is indeed my Lord. I don't play religion. I go where He goes. I, I do what He tells me. None of us do it perfectly. But we're called beloved. You know what you're called to be, right? You're called to be a disciple. You're not called to be a church member. Nobody here is called to be a church member. Jesus never called anyone to become a church member. Never. If you can find it in the Bible, tell me. He called us to be disciples. I'll just ask you, I'll stop and ask you, are you a disciple? Is that who you are? In the core of your soul, are you a disciple? Do you love Jesus Christ more than anything else in the world? More than anyone else in the world? That's biblical Christianity. <laughs> Everything else is a counterfeit. And this is what Paul learned face down on the road to Damascus. All his religion, all his religion, it was no good. It was no good before God. In fact, religion is a stench in the nostrils of God. It's a stench that men would ever be so arrogant to think that I can make myself, I can make myself acceptable to God apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ. So you heard the text read. Let's pick up here. At verse 4, Paul says, man, if anybody was going to be confident in being religious, it's me, right? And he goes on, and he says, man, I'm the perfect Jew. This is what he says. Paul says, I'm the perfect Jew. There's never been a more perfect Jew than me. I was circumcised on the eighth day, verse 5. Of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. Paul says, my pedigree is perfect. It was perfect. I was the perfect religious machine. I've met some of these people. I bet some of you have met some of these people. Perfect religious machine. They're not really all that interested in Jesus Christ. But they are religious machines. Paul's credentials. He says, man, just as God commanded, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm, I'm one of the covenant people, he says. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the a few tribes that stayed loyal to the Davidic covenant. He says, I'm pure-blooded. I am a pure-blooded Hebrew. I am an elite fundamentalist, Paul says. I do religion better than anyone else in Jerusalem. He said, not only that, I'm a zealot. I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about my religion, right? I'm passionate about it. So his list was perfect. He'd done all the right things. He had all the right... Uh, things on his, on, his, on his resume. He had the right ethnicity, the right tradition, the right credentials. 
Do you remember what Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus? Do you remember? When Jesus confronted Paul? Paul, who thought he was pleasing God and serving God, but what does Jesus say to Paul? Why are you persecuting me, Paul? You remember? This religious man. He thought he was the perfect Jew. He thought God was so proud of him. And God said to him, why are you persecuting me? Do you see why Jesus uses the word lawlessness here? For religion? In his religion, Paul was persecuting Christ. So face down on the road to Damascus, Paul learns what salvation really is. <laughs> it's about an awesome Savior. Amen? It's not about religion at all. It's about an awesome Savior. I think he's laying face down on the road to Damascus and he's hearing Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah 64.6 Isaiah 64.6 Some of you will remember this passage. And Isaiah said, your righteous deeds... Does anybody know how that ends? Your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Your righteous deeds are nothing before a holy God. Your so-called righteous deeds are nothing before a holy God. This is, these are the words of Isaiah. In fact, he says they're unclean, they're filthy, they're polluted. So I think Paul's laying there and he's, he's thinking, he's hearing Isaiah, and he's going... Of course! How can my religion please God? How could my, my religious works make me acceptable to God? Paul learned it's only through Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ. And this is what he's talking about in this great text tonight. There's no question that man-made religion in general and counterfeit Christianity in particular are blasphemous in the eyes of God. And you always see this in, not only in the world religions, but also in false Christianity. You'll always see this, this dichotomy. You'll see uh, a high view of man and a low view of God. You can, you can listen to a guy preach about two or three times. <laughs> you can read a doctrinal statement. And you, you can almost see it and hear it. Uh, high view of man, low view of God. But that's not the biblical gospel. <laughs> the biblical gospel is an infinitely high view of God and a low view of fallen, sinful, rebellious men before this good and gracious God. I think Paul's face down the road to Damascus and he starts to think Philippians 3, 7-8. I think the, the, the seeds are planted right there. And of course, I'm, I, I may be reading into this a little bit, but I, I really think Paul begins face down. Before he ever gets up, he's thinking Philippians 3, 7-8. He says, Whatever things were gained to me before, they're lost to me now. I've met God, right? 
<laughs> I love this text. I counted all as loss for the sake of this great God. Verse, verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I looked at the Greek word translated rubbish here. Some of the other translations were garbage. I think that was the translation that uh, Josh read. Trash, filth, refuse, and dung. The King James actually says dung. Let me ask you, is that where Jesus is to you as compared to everything else? With regard to His, his religion, Paul says it's dung to me now. It's dung to me now. Everything he thought was you know, so important and made him acceptable to God, now he knows it's refuse. It's garbage. It means nothing to him. It's Isaiah. <laughs> it's the prophet Isaiah. It's filthy rags. All my religion is filthy rags. I think he's hearing this face down on the road to Damascus. Verse 7, Paul is using accounting language. Financial accounting language. And Paul's adding it up, right? He, 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 he's, he's got a ledger in front of him. And he looks at all of his religious works and all of his zeal and all of his passion and all of his deeds in apostate Judaism. He looks at that and then he looks at Jesus, and this is nothing to him anymore. You know, this is the way true conversion always is, right? When we really meet Christ, <laughs> everything else, everything else is subordinate to him. You know, it's all lost compared to him. It's really, you know, seeing him and falling in love with him. You know, most people you talk to about God, if they think about God at all, this is how they think. They think, well, I've done this many good things and maybe not so many bad things, so God will, God will be proud of me. God will let me in heaven. God will like me. This is just totally false, beloved. This is not the way, this is not the, way the Bible speaks. It's not the way that the Bible speaks. Paul's list was better than probably all of our lists in here combined. And Paul says it's dung. It's dung in light of knowing Jesus. So I'll stop and ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you really know Christ? Or is He simply a religious icon to you? Do you know Him? Are you in relationship with Him? Do you really love Him? Are you talking to Him in your prayer time? Are you, are you feeding on His Word? Are you doing His Word? Are you sharing His Word? Are you really a disciple at all? Beloved, these, these are important questions for each of us. There are millions who are playing religion with God and on the last day, they will hear the words from Matthew 7, I don't know who you are. Depart from Me, you who practice. Lawlessness. This is just biblical truth, beloved. I know. 
that the Bible has been dumbed down in most places these days. But this is simply biblical truth. Paul says, if you actually read the text here, Paul uses the word lost three times. He couldn't say it enough. It's all lost to me! He says. And Jesus is infinite gain. Infinite gain. He saw the loss in two different ways. Loss in the sense that it was worthless to accomplish what he had hoped. He cannot be justified through his religion before God. Secondly, it was lost in the sense that it no longer made his heart beat fast. <laughs> right? Now Jesus made his heart beat fast. Now he had seen the living God, the crucified, risen, resurrected, returning Living God. He had seen Jesus. Everything changed. Amen? Everything changed. Isn't that how it was for you when you met Christ? Didn't everything change? Didn't everything start to change? Isn't everything still changing? The things you, you, know, the, the things you used to set your heart on, the things you used to love, you don't love to the same degree. I'm not saying that you may not still have uh, some interest in these things, but you don't love them anymore. You love Christ Jesus supremely, preeminently, above all things, you love Him. It's John 14. <laughs> Jesus talks about it. He says, if you love Me, you'll do what I say. It's, uh, that's the kind of relationship that the born-again believer is in. And Paul talks about that here. He says, he talks about the surpassing value of knowing Christ. He says, knowing Christ is here and everything else is down here, is what he's saying. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. It reminded me of the guy, and I've mentioned this several times the last several weeks, the guy who found the treasure in the field, right? He found the treasure in the field. It's Matthew 13 where Jesus is talking about true conversion. He has about four or five parables there. And the guy, the guy finds the treasure and then he, he, he goes and sells all that he has that he, that he could buy the field and possess the treasure. It's, he tells another parable there about the, the, the pearl of great price, the, the trader. He finds the, 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 the perfect pearl and he sells all that he has that he may possess it. The point of the parables are Jesus is infinitely valuable. Let me ask you, are you living your life every day when you get up like Jesus is infinitely valuable? Is He like number one in your life? Or is He like number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Do you go days and not think about Jesus Christ? How can this be? <laughs> For the true believer who's in a sacred romance with God. You know, that's really what this is. It's a sacred romance. Sacred romance with God. I'm on the wooden leg. I want, I want to warn you, I'm on the wooden leg quote. I love this quote. This old preacher, he's an old dead preacher, but he said this. Religion's like a wooden leg. It has no warmth in it. It has no life in it. And although it seems to help you hobble along, it never becomes part of you, but it must be strapped on every morning. Don't you love that? That's, that's religion. That's pseudo-Christianity. And all other world religions. It's dead. You have to tie it on yourself. 
to try to hobble along. There's no life in it. There's no life in it. It never becomes part of you. I think that's a great illustration. There's that great verse that appears six times in the Gospels. Uh, if you want to know all six times, let me know. I'll tell you. For the sake of time, I won't go to all of them. I'll read it to you from Matthew 10.39. Jesus says, He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Six times. There's no other verse I can find in the Bible repeated six times. Jesus says it every time. I'll read it to you again. He who has found his life shall lose it. If you found your life here, if you love this here more than you love God, more than you love Christ, if this is who you are, if this is what you're about, you're going to lose it all. Right? That's what the Bible teaches. This is what Jesus Christ clearly says. You're going to lose everything. But Jesus goes on to say, He who has lost his life for my sake, he has found it. If you've lost yourself in Christ, you have indeed found true treasure. You found the pearl of great price. You found life. You found eternal life. You found infinite life. This is what Jesus is saying. If you settle for the temporal, you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose it all. It's all going to be burned up. But if you're pursuing Christ, you, <laughs> yeah, you have found life indeed. Jesus says if you get what I'm saying here, and I'm talking about the Matthew 10.39 passage, if you've weighed it out correctly, then you've done your spiritual accounting uh, properly. It reminds me of that famous quote by Jim Elliot, famous missionary. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep in exchange for that which he cannot lose. Aren't you always amazed at people spending their whole life trying to be successful, trying to make lots of money, trying to buy lots of things, trying to be beautiful simply, you know, trying to, to simply live for pleasure. There are 10,000 things I could list. Do you, it's, it's insane. You know, Living for prestige, living for power, living for honor, self-honor. There are many things I could say. It's all passing away, beloved. It's all passing away. So the guy with the field, the merchant with the pearl, the Apostle Paul, you and me, and every born-again Christian through the ages, we understand this exchange. We exchange everything temporal for everything eternal in Christ. We're happy to do it. It's our great joy to do it. Why did the man sell everything to purchase the field? Does anybody remember the, the motivation of the man? <laughs> he thought it was his religious duty, right? It's my religious duty. No! It's never about religious duty. Don't do anything because of simply religious duty. Do it because you value Christ. You love Christ. It was from joy that that man sold all that he had to buy that field. It was from joy. 
That's how true Christians operate. That's what motivates the true believer, the born-again believer. It's this deep and abiding, profound joy in God. We're like Paul. We can't get over the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. He's awesome and He loves me. Amen? I don't understand. I don't understand who... I don't understand people who call themselves Christians and they live it this big. I don't understand it. I've never understood it. You can't be a real Christian <laughs> and live your Christianity this big. You can't be. You're, you're, you're simply playing religion with God. Paul discovers as all who are here and who have come into relationship with Christ, that Jesus Christ is better than anything life can give. Amen? I won't ask you to say it out loud. Maybe you ought to say it out loud. But amen, Jesus Christ is better than anything this life can give. And Jesus Christ is better than anything death can take. Amen? He's better. On the hard day, He's better. On the hard day, He's doing a good thing. You say, Jim, it's hard right now. Listen, we've all gone through hard things. And we all will go through hard things. But Jesus Christ loves us. And He is an awesome God, a faithful God, a good God. Then verses 9-11 through 11, very quickly. Paul says, In Christ, I have the righteousness that comes from God. It's it's not my man-made righteousness. It's not my religious righteousness. It's not my, my good deeds kind of righteousness. It's from God. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's from God. I have God's righteousness. You understand that, don't you? Those of you who are here tonight and, and you're a Christian, you understand that the righteousness of Jesus is yours. <laughs> Isn't it the most amazing thing you've ever heard? Have you ever heard anything more amazing? That God took on flesh and was nailed to a tree for me and for you? How can you live it small? How can this be small in your life? Paul says, I have the righteousness that comes from God. Verse 9. Verse 10, he says, I know Him! I know Him. I know God. This is Christianity. Anything less than that is pseudo. It's false. It's counterfeit. I know God. I know Him. We talk. He's faithful. He's in the middle of my life. He's in the middle of my marriage. He's in the middle of my career. He's in the middle of my leisure. He's in the middle of my child rearing. He's in the middle of it. He's Lord of all of it. He says, I know Him. I know Him. Verse 10 again, he says, I, I've experienced God's power. It's not just that, you know, that religious stuff, that, that whitewashed religion. You know, it's not just outside stuff. It's inside-out stuff. There's something going on in my heart. It's, there's power that's, that's flowing from God. It's coming through my heart. He's changing me, right? He's changing me. I've been changed. <laughs> it's awesome. 
It's like Lazarus coming out of the tomb. <laughs> you can't keep Lazarus in the tomb. He's, he's alive. He's going to come out. Jesus says, come on out. Same way with a born-again Christian. You've got to come out, man. You're coming out of your, your sin and your death and your, your condemnation and your love of the world. You're coming out of your love of the world. Amen? You're coming out. We all have a long way to go. It's all, you know, sanctification is a process. We all have sins we're still working through, of course. But we're coming out. We got power. We got power that God has granted us. Verse 10. He says, In Christ I have a partner in suffering. We know Paul suffered greatly. If you read, if you if you're biblically literate, you know Paul suffered greatly. Paul says, I have a partner in that suffering. My partner is God. Some of you, again, who have suffered and will suffer, remember, Jesus Christ is your partner in suffering. And in verse 11, He says, I will attain to the resurrection from the dead. I will attain to eternal life. A Philippians 3 testimony like Paul's it's the result of an Acts 9 encounter with God. <laughs> it's the result of a Damascus Road experience. If we've truly met Christ, we understand Philippians 3. If we haven't yet met Christ, we don't have a clue what Philippians 3 is about. We really don't understand it. It's, it's pretty theology, but I am clueless about what Paul's talking about unless we've really encountered the living God. We've really surrendered our lives to Christ. You know, I listened to a great sermon. This is not in the notes. This week. And uh, the guy was preaching from... He was preaching from Luke 14. You remember what Jesus says? If you're going to come with Me, And you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and yes, even your own life. You can't be my disciple. What is Jesus saying there? Is He saying we should hate our, our relatives? Of course not! But He's saying your love for Me is so great! It is so great! That some might say by comparison. <laughs> we know we're commanded to love our family. That's not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is saying, My people love Me preeminently. My people love me preeminently. So Paul says, no more religion for me. No more self-justification for me. No more religious law keeping for me. Yeah, I was at the top of the food chain in Jerusalem. I was the perfect Jew. But it's all dong to me now. This is true conversion. This is true conversion. Paul says, I've waited out. I've weighed out the claims of religion. I've weighed out the passions and pleasures of the world. I've waited out. It's nothing compared to Jesus Christ. It's nothing compared to Jesus Christ. So it's what every born-again Christian knows. Jesus Christ is infinitely better than the next best thing. Amen? I'll take an amen on that. Jesus Christ is better than the next best thing. Jesus Christ is better than the cosmos. If you could have the whole cosmos, Jesus Christ is better than the 
the cosmos. It's what you see splashed all over Scripture. People just, their lives get turned upside down and they go with Christ. You know, you just see, you see it all over the pages of Scripture and you see it in the history of the church. Men and women who just love Christ and just begin to live for Him, His honor and His glory. Paul says, I found the one who fills my heart up to overflowing. And you guys know that great passage <laughs> over Philippians 1. It's my, maybe my favorite single verse in the Bible. Philippians 1.21 Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Amen? Now, the true believer hears that. He understands it. Now, I think the the unbeliever or the pseudo-Christian or the counterfeit Christian, he, I think they're probably afraid of that verse. That's, that sounds like selling out and they don't want to sell out. They want to hold back. You know, let me encourage you, beloved. If you think you can hold back, you lose. You're the only one that loses. When you hold back from Christ, when you try to hold things to yourself, when you're too afraid to go with Him, when you're not willing to give up that popularity or that whatever it is in your life, you know, you lose. You lose. Because when you go with Christ, He comes. It's that John, it's that John 14, 21 thing. It's that disclosure thing that happens. It's that disclosure thing that happens. I'm finished. Let me, uh, let me say this. I'm, I'm finished. Face down on the road to Damascus, Paul experienced God's raging love for him. Have you experienced it? God's raging love for you. But you know what happened when Paul got up? You know what he spent the rest of his life doing? Living out his raging love for God. That's real Christianity. That, that's what happens. We discover God's raging love for us. He, he died for me. God did. I have to spend the rest of my life living out my raging love for this God. Beloved, that's true conversion. That's what biblical Christianity is. That's what it is. So I simply ask you, do you know Christ like that tonight? If you don't, I invite you to abandon any hope you have in religion, even if you call it Christian religion, I invite you to abandon all hope in rituals and sacraments and magic prayers that you may have prayed or, or affirmations that religious professionals have given to you, pronouncing you a Christian when you know good and well in your heart you don't love Christ. You don't love Him at all. You, you, you have some mild affection for Him, but you love Him. You've never really given yourself to Him. You don't really know what it's like to be a disciple. I say this in all love to you. You lose. You lose. Not only now, but for all eternity you lose. So I, I, I exhort you and encourage you, come to Christ. Come to Christ. If you have questions about this. Please. I'll be happy to talk to you. I know Keith would be happy to talk to anyone from Veritas. 
It's urgent, beloved. It's urgent that we understand Paul's words here. They need to be our words. It's what true conversion looks like. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You that You've loved us. I thank You that You've saved us. For those here who don't know You, Lord, I pray that they would act on the message that You've given us tonight. That they would act that they wouldn't be satisfied till they understood Philippians 3. They wouldn't be satisfied till Philippians 3 were in effect their words. We love You, God. We love You that You're a Savior. We love You that You call us to Yourself. We thank You. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the incarnate, crucified, risen, reigning, returning God. His name is Jesus. We pray in His mighty name. Amen.